0: Well, good morning, Stonebridge. Pastor Brandon here. Uh, Thank you for joining us online this morning. God's word says this in Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Well, even though we are not able to be gathered in the same location this morning, we are united in Christ by his spirit, and we're invited through the finished work of Christ to bring our worship to the one true God of heaven and earth, to the creator, the maker, the king. And that is what we are doing this morning. So whether you are joining us from home uh, with your family, whether you're together with a life group or at one of our host locations, our aim this morning is to make much of God together, to worship him because he is worthy. Now, uh, this online service is going to look a little bit different than what we've been used to recently. As most of you know, <clears throat> our facility sustained pretty extensive damage during the derecho uh, last week, and so we won't be able to use it for a lot of things for a while. And we're, we're figuring that out, but um, so for the rest of August our plan is to continue live streaming but we're also encouraging people to gather together whether in a life group or one of several homes that are that are hosting an outdoor service this Sunday and next and at those uh, host homes there's someone there to lead you <clears throat> excuse me to lead you in singing to the Lord together and then the live stream is going to focus primarily on the sermon also, uh, we're not going to be holding any ministries, weekly ministry events at the church facility for the rest of August. Stuff that's ha- happening elsewhere, that's fine. But at the facility, uh, we're, we're not going to do that in August. We are currently looking for an alternate location uh, to be able to gather and, and serve together. And uh, we appreciate your prayers on that. And we will be communicating uh, updates as frequently as we are able in the weeks ahead. So that's a good uh, plug to say if you're not connected with our if you're not in one of our either email groups or text groups to get updates, this is a really good time to sign up for those especially with all of the spotty internet and cell service we want to be able to get in touch with you uh, however we can and so um, you can sign up for our text updates simply by texting the word updates to 319320. 1834. Uh, You can join our email list by going to the website, or if you need help with either of those, you can contact the office. And if you're new to Stonebridge and want to learn more about what God is doing uh, in and through this church, uh, you can text the word WELCOME to that same phone number, 319-320-1834, and we'll follow up and get in touch with you. Excuse me. Uh, Now before we open God's word, uh, I want to say a huge thank you to so many people who have been serving tirelessly the last several weeks uh, to help one another as a church family. Uh, Throughout this past week, we've had over 170 volunteers helping either with contacting Stonebridge families or helping with cleanup efforts, and those are the ones we know about. A lot more has been happening, but we know uh, of that many uh, from everyone who has helped clean up the church last Wednesday, our little uh, insulation picking up party we had in the yard, uh, to the 95 people that have helped Stonebridge members and their families with storm cleanup, Uh, we have seen this congregation live out our value of sharing our resources and our lives with one another. And it is a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, Just yesterday, we had groups from three different churches, uh, one of which drove six hours to come help out. Uh, a group of college students from Emmaus Bible College in Dubuque, a team from North Liberty, all working together with our Stonebridge family, uh, and we were able to help 17 homes with cleanup efforts yesterday alone. That is beautiful. So thank you for loving one another and laying your lives down to come alongside one another. And if uh, anyone continues to have needs let us know. We want to help one another. Um, Also this week, the elders approved expanding the COVID relief fund to be able to uh, be used for derecho relief needs as well. So if that's something you'd like to learn more about in terms of financial assistance from the storm's effects, you can get in touch with the church office and we can help you uh, understand that process And for those who call Stonebridge home, um, I just want to encourage you to continue giving to the Lord's work here. He is at work. Um, It's a little hard to do that when we're not gathered in one facility, but you can do that by either mailing a check um, or using one of our online giving options. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, Um, but I want to encourage all of us in the midst of all of the cleanup and the physical labor we've been doing, don't forget to keep praying for one another. Keep praying for our community that, that God would be at work. There are still people without power. There are people who've lost homes. There are people living without hope right now. And, and so pray that God would show himself through this season, through this storm, through the cleanup efforts, that he would show himself through the love of the church and keep praying for our outreach partners as well, um, especially Bridge Haven here locally, who sustained a lot of damage in the storm also, and several other churches in our community. Uh, we want to be a people of prayer because God is a God who listens to prayer and loves to answer those with his power and his work. So in that, on that note, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read the scripture uh, for this morning. So please pray with me. Gracious Father, you are the Lord. You are the King of Israel, the Redeemer of all nations, Lord. You are the Lord of hosts. There is no God like you, and what an incredible privilege it is to be invited into your presence through your Son. Lord, as we continue to reel from the effects of the storm last week, Um, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who's bigger than any storm, uh, that the wind and the waves know your voice and you are a God who in your mercy tells us that we do not have to fear because you are our rock. Lord, help us know the stability, the security that only comes from resting in you and open our eyes to see what you are calling us to in this season as we consider afresh what matters most as followers of Christ. So be with us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a scripture the, that we're looking at this morning, a scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, from Paul's letter here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Now it's hard to read those verses and not feel like you're supposed to be at a wedding, right? Or at least perusing the calendar and mug section of a Christian bookstore Uh, And that's fine as far as it goes. This chapter can certainly be applied to marriage. But in the context of Paul's letter here, he's actually applying it primarily to the church, to the life and ministry of the church. And that's why I want to look at it together this morning. Uh, For the past few weeks at Stonebridge, we have been doing a short series called What Matters Most. We've been trying to make the most of this insane season of COVID and now derecho and all of that, uh, to the, the season that's forced us to slow down and to step out of our regular rhythms and, and, and use that to ask the question, okay, so what does matter most in life? It, to evaluate our priorities. What matters most in our relationship with God, for instance, or in our home life as we've looked at before, or today in the church? What matters most as a church Family, and last week's derecho uh, really just kind of amplifies the weight and and uh, urgency of asking these kinds of questions, especially when it comes to what we might consider the pivot foot of the church. Now, I am not a baller, but as I understand basketball, the pivot foot uh, is what gives uh, stability and direction and force when you're going to make your move on the court. So, So what does that for the church? What would be our pivot foot? Well, of all that marks or moves the church in everything that we do, of all of the different attributes that Scripture points us to and celebrates, the one that Scripture puts on top is love. Love is the pivot foot of the church. And if there was ever an opportunity to show our love to one another or to the world, this is it. Scripture actually talks a lot about the priority of love for the church. Uh, For instance, Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, love is our calling card as a church. It's our most important mark. And our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians 13 begins and ends by making that exact same point, the preeminence and necessity of love. And then in the middle of that passage shows us what that love actually looks like. Again, Paul is primarily talking about the church in this chapter. Uh, The church in ancient Corinth had become divided by selfish interests and diluted by worldly concerns. And so Paul wrote this letter to them partly to address problems that had been reported to him and partly to answer questions that the Corinthians had asked of him. And one of those questions was about the use of spiritual gifts in the life and worship of the church. That's what he's addressing in chapters 12 through 14. So some in the Corinthian church had begun to measure the spirituality of others, so kind of the holiness or spiritual maturity, how spiritual they are, they'd begun to measure that based on whether they practiced certain spiritual gifts. So Paul responds to that problem in several ways, but the heart of his response is chapter 13, the preeminence of love in the life and worship of the church. So he starts and ends by showing us the necessity of love in verses one through three and verses eight to 13. And again, specifically in the context of the issue he's addressing with the Corinthians without love, the miraculous gifts that the church was fighting about are utterly useless. Again, verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, an irritating noise. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. In the same way, even, <clears throat> even our greatest and most sacrificial service to the Lord, if it does not flow from love, gains us Nothing, according to verse 3. We can run great programs, we can chop up trees like nobody's business, we can serve hot meals like a Food Network ninja, but if it does not flow from a heart of love, it gains us nothing. Love is utterly necessary for the life and ministry of the church. And in a very similar way, in contrast to the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians are arguing about only love will last forever and that's the point he makes in verses 8 to 13 so when it comes to spiritual maturity uh, these gifts are far less important than love because the spiritual gifts are only temporarily useful and provide only a partial benefit whereas love lasts forever As he says in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that is when we all see Jesus face to face in the new creation, the partial will pass away. We'll grow out of our need for the gifts like a child growing up. So essentially, what what Paul is saying is that fighting over over, uh, who is more spiritual based on the gifts that they practice is like adults fighting over who's better at Mario Kart or who can do a math worksheet faster. Like when you're a kid, that's everything. When you're an adult, that's kind of dumb. That's what they were doing. And so Paul begins and ends by emphasizing that love is the most important mark of the church, of a God-centered church, not who has what gift or who has more Bible knowledge or better worship service or more programs. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. But of course, that raises a question. Uh, If love is so essential, if it is the pivot foot of the church, uh, what does it actually look like? What does that love look like? How do we recognize a God-centered church by its love, especially when you think about all of the different ways that the world around us defines love, uh, which are very often in contrast to God's definition? And what do we do if we don't see it within the church, if our love has grown cold, Well, this is what Paul focuses on in the heart of his chapter in verses four through seven. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the true marks of love. And and Paul helps us understand this, uh, not so much by telling us what love is, but by showing us what love does. So he describes it in 15 ways here in these few verses, but not by using primarily adjectives, but by using verbs, not describing words, but action words. He shows us what real love does. And as you look at the list, uh, our initial impression is that a lot of these feel both obvious and impossible at the same time. I mean, who among us would disagree that love is patient and kind, that it's not arrogant or rude? That's common sense. And yet, who among us doesn't have a hard time with patience or arrogance, right? It's obvious, but impossible. Because standing in opposition to every attribute on this list, threatening to undo it, is me, self. Like self is the greatest threat to love in the church. My wants, my needs, my desires, my agenda, my plans, my dreams, my goals, my kingdom. It's so powerful. That, that drive of self is so powerful that oftentimes we use this chapter not to learn how to love, but to hold it up and make sure other people are loving us well which totally misses the point, right? So here in these verses is a vision of the kind of love that ought to mark us as the people of God. And yet here is a love we can only offer if we first know the love of God in Christ. And so as we look at this list, I want us to do three things. I want us to think about what each aspect of love means And then second, ask ourselves, how are we doing? But then third, and just as important, I want us to see how Christ is the perfect embodiment of every attribute of love on this list. Because it's only by seeing and receiving his love that we are going to be able to give that love to others. Just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. And so let's look at the attributes here. Uh, First, love waits patiently. Love waits patiently. Which means, if I'm honest, uh, I'm off to a bad start. Uh, Patience is not exactly the virtue that would describe me the last few months. Um, And I'm probably not alone there. Being cooped up due to covid Uh, Has been a test of patience, uh, to say the least, and and nor has it been easy to be patient the last couple of weeks as we're waiting on electricity to come back or waiting on internet or we continue to wait for uh, insurance adjusters or or contractors to call us back. It's really, really hard to be patient. And yet, there it is right out of the chute, love waits patiently. And I think patience is hard because self is so consuming. I mean, a patient love flows from a trust in God. It flows from a trust in God. I can extend patience to someone, even someone who's wronged me, only if I believe that God is in control and that Christ is my vindication. Otherwise, my kingdom's at stake and I have to defend it. I have to defend it. But love does not demand its own timetable. It doesn't blurt out or barge in. Love gives space when it's needed. It shows patience just like Jesus shows patience to us. I mean, you think about all of the times during Jesus's life ministry uh, when the disciples didn't get it. You know, he's warning them about the leaven, the false teaching of the Pharisees, and they're thinking about lunch. He tells them that he has come in order to give his life on the cross, and Peter tries to stop it from happening. Like, Jesus could have totally ditched them and started over, but he was patient. And he is so patient with us. I mean, how many times do we make the same mistake over and over and over again. And yet there he is in his love inviting us to come back. Can we do that to others? Can we love in that way? Love waits patiently. Second, love shows kindness. And kindness is not simply being nice. That's what we think sometimes. Uh, But one author defines it as a pure and unselfish concern for the well-being of the other, which may not always look or feel nice, right? For instance, it's not very nice to build a huge wall and put up a big warning sign that says, keep out. Uh, It's not very nice, but it may be very kind if what's on the other side of that wall could kill you, right? So the point here is that love seeks what is best for the other, that's what kindness is. And, and sometimes that's very obvious. Helping a neighbor clean up debris or, or lending a car to someone whose car got trashed in the storm or helping somebody uh, replenish their fridge from everything that rotted. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. What's best for the other? Maybe it's just listening or grieving with them or praying with them and for them, encouraging them. And sometimes it's more pointed, warning, admonishing, correcting. You know, if my friend or my child or my colleague is going in a direction that might make them feel good, but which is not good for them, according to God, it is utterly unloving of me to encourage them or affirm them in that direction in life. That would not be loving. That would be callous and dangerous. But what's ultimately best for the other according to scripture, is to know and be found in Jesus Christ. That is what's ultimately best. There is no greater kindness than what Christ has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Verse, uh, in chapter, in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, this is what Paul says. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, there's no better thing than to know Christ and be found in him. And so love in its kindness helps someone find their identity and security and satisfaction in Jesus, which means that love, real love is always moving people toward the gospel of Christ. That's is what's best for them. We can give them nothing better than to point them to Jesus. And so love waits patiently and it shows kindness. Third, love does not envy or brag. Love does not envy or brag. It doesn't get caught up in the haves and the have-nots. If the standard of holiness or spirituality uh, is the practice of certain gifts, certain spiritual gifts, as the Corinthians were We're arguing, well, then those who have them are going to be prone to brag, and those who don't are going to be prone to envy, which makes it hard to love someone if you're constantly comparing yourself to others. And the same thing can happen today whenever we let something other than Jesus become the source and standard of our spiritual life whether that's Bible knowledge or, or well-adjusted kids or success in business or any number of things that we might use to kind of rank ourselves relative to others. Those who got electricity first or those whose churches didn't get pummeled. Uh, those whose cleanup efforts uh, got highlighted by the news. Comparison, comparison completely chokes out love. Replacing it with envy and boasting. But if Christ is everything, if Christ is everything, our Creator, our King, our Savior, our Great High Priest, and our Judge, then there's nothing on earth that we have that we can take credit for, and there's nothing else we really need or want. We are free to love regardless of what we have or don't have. Fourth, love is not inflated with its own importance. Love is not inflated with its own importance. Uh, most of our translations read something like love is not arrogant or proud or maybe puffed up. And, and that's the picture here, right? Of someone puffed up or inflated because of how highly they think of themselves. And again, it's it's the focus on self. It's, it's we think that we're bigger or more important than others which makes us hard to approach and makes it hard for us to love someone else when we can't actually see past our own nose. The contrast to this, of course, is humility, uh, which as C.S. Lewis helpfully reminds us is not so much thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And again, that's exactly how Jesus has loved us. You think of Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be exploited for selfish gain, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. What am I willing to lose for the sake of someone else? Fifth, love does not act improperly. Love does not act improperly, or as many translations put it, love is not rude. It's not rude. It observes observes common courtesies. It shows respect. Um, I heard a story a while back of a young man who during a job interview was reading and answering texts uh, during the interview. Now, for obvious reasons, he did not get that job. But how often does my wife have to say my name over and over when I'm staring at my phone? Uh, and how often do I have to ask her to repeat herself even though I was nodding along but not actually paying attention? Right? That's rude that's rude. Love is not rude. Love puts away the distractions. It shows common courtesy. It doesn't interrupt. It pays attention. It shows respect. It says you're valuable and I want to know you and hear what you have to say. Number six, love does not seek selfish ends. Love does not seek selfish ends, which is really, again, the heart of the matter, right? Uh, the temptation to insist on my own way and to make life and relationships and church all about me uh, instead of about Christ or others self is the greatest threat to genuine love in the church and and that's the difference between truly loving someone and simply using them right uh, I may do things that appear loving uh, but but what am I really after? Am I after the good of the other or am I after the glory of self? I have to ask that question. Even good things like helping people clean up their yards. like I, My heart is so prone to selfishness that I can take this, this good thing and I can twist it into something for self-promotion. Love does what it does, not because of what I get out of it but because of what the other gets out of it. Whether we're talking about God or someone else, or neighbor. Love is selfless, just like Jesus. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Seventh, love does not become irritable or overreact it's not easily provoked or crabby or touchy or temperamental love, doesn't assume the motives of someone who's acting in a way that we don't like and then react based on that assumption. As we said earlier, love waits patiently. It listens and understands before it reacts, Uh, which is basically the opposite of what happens on social media, right? where everyone just jumps to a conclusion and then rushes either to express their outrage or offer their hot take. Love doesn't overreact. Number eight, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Some translations use the word resentful, but it's a little too vague for what Paul is after here. He's talking about the habit of never really letting go of an offense that someone has committed against you. So, so you might utter the words, I forgive you, but you're not actually blotting it out of the ledger, right? You are adding to that record and you keep adding, forever keeping that person in debt to you, ready to use your list as leverage when the time comes. That's not love. That's vindictiveness. And it's completely counter to the way that Christ loves us. Psalm 103 verses 10 to 12 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so if Christ loves us enough not to keep a record of wrongs, who are we to hold on to that list? Who are we to hold on to that list? Number nine, love does not take pleasure in someone else's wrong. Love does not take pleasure in someone else's wrong. And boy, there are, there are countless ways we're tempted to do that, right? Right? Uh, the secret pleasure you feel when someone who's opposed to you makes a mistake or messes up. The, the joy we get from being able to say to somebody, I told you so. Uh, or to someone, uh, again, to someone who makes a mistake. Or, or maybe it's finding enjoyment in things like gossip or slander or, or constantly rehearsing everything that's wrong with the church. It's tempting. And yet more than just being tempted, Today, we're increasingly commanded to celebrate wrongdoing by the world around us. And one of the most frequent criticisms of the church today in North America is that despite our call, we are unloving. We're unloving. And, and some of those criticisms cut painfully close to home. There are examples where we have loved ourselves more than God or more than our neighbor. And and in that we must repent and love well. And yet some of that criticism is based on the demand that we rejoice in what the Bible considers wrongdoing. And if we don't, then we're not loving. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. Again, if love shows kindness, if it wants what's best for the other. And if love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth, then celebrating someone's sin is not loving. It's callous and dangerous. And it's saying to them, there's nothing wrong here when God is saying the opposite. Now, that's not always going to be politically correct. Uh, But the Bible's not always politically correct. It is always loving. And it is always true. And Jesus is the one who brings those two things together. The truth of God's holiness and majesty, according to which he must deal justly with sin, and the love of God's mercy and grace on the cross, by which he deals mercifully with sinners. Love does not take pleasure in someone else's wrong. Number 10, Love celebrates the truth. Love celebrates truth. And and that's the contrast to not rejoicing in wrongdoing. Uh, Love makes much of whatever is true and good and beautiful in this world, whatever is true in someone else's life. It, It avoids willfully misrepresenting others or bending the truth to get our way. Love does not give in to spin. It doesn't have to. Because the truth of the gospel frees us to be honest about what's wrong because in Jesus we have an adequate solution for it. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. But God is at work in us, and where we see Him at work, bringing His truth to bear on our lives, we celebrate that truth. We celebrate it. And then finally, taking verse seven together, love never tires of tolerating, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, never gives up. In a word, love is committed to the other. It will not let go, which means love is really hard work. Love is hard work and and maybe you've invested in someone for years, but you've never really seen fruit or or perhaps you've given everything to raise your child, but they're not walking with the Lord or or you've risked relationship with someone who continues to let you down and, and you're not sure what to do. Love never tires of tolerating, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, and never gives up. I mean, this is obvious but impossible love, right? Of course, love is in it to the end, of course. But who can actually love that way? Only those who have been loved that way. Again, imagine if Christ had reached a limit. You know, what if he got tired of tolerating the foolishness of his disciples and just, you know, moved on or, or got tired of tolerating the sin that surrounded him as he walked on this broken and fallen earth? What if he lost faith in the plan that he and his father had formed before the beginning of the world? Or what if his hope was completely exhausted such that he simply gave up his mission? And we can't even imagine him doing that, right? And yet we who are called to love in that same way do it to one another daily. We give up on each other. We reach our limit. We walk away. Why? Me. Self. That's why. I am the greatest threat to love in the church. But the gospel tells me I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Love is the pivot foot of the church. It marks and moves. It directs and fuels everything that we do. And God in Christ has placed before us an opportunity. An opportunity that will test our love for one another as we navigate the stress of crisis after crisis and the strain that it puts on us emotionally and physically. He's given us an opportunity that will test our love for the community that he has called us to, to, he sent us into, uh, to come alongside each person we meet as they take their next step with Jesus. There is no shortage of need In our community right now, there is no shortage of pain. How can we show the love of Christ in this season and so prove to be his disciples? But to love well, to love with endurance, we need to return again and again to the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. A church with a superficial love for God and his people has has had a superficial experience of the gospel. A church who has experienced the gospel profoundly loves profoundly. We love because he first loved us. May we know that love and may we be known by that love to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Gracious Father, we... We cannot thank you enough for the love that we have in Jesus Christ. A love that met us not because we figured it out or cleaned our lives up or or worked our way up to you. A love that met us in our filth and in our sin, in our need and in our poverty and loved us out of sheer grace, God. Lord, thank you for that love. Thank you for a love that didn't just look on us with pity, but acted to deliver us. Lord, may we rejoice in that love and may we reflect that love to one another within the church and to the world around us, Lord. Would you be pleased to show your incomparable love to your church and through your church for the sake of your glory? And Lord, we do pray for our city, for the devastation that surrounds us. We pray, Lord, for the ongoing, uh, threat of COVID and, and which easy to forget about the last couple of weeks, but it's still here. And and we pray for ongoing protection and wisdom and we pray for gospel opportunities. Lord, would we make the most of this time to show your love to others? We pray for our church family, um, Lord, would you continue to bring relief to those who have need uh, from the storm? Would you open doors for opportunities to serve? Would you, again, give us a chance to show your love to one another and to the world? Would you unite our hearts in the gospel that we might serve you in your kingdom? And Lord, we think of those uh, who are in need of healing from your hand, God, for Jacob Pryor. Steve Christofferson, Joe Couture, and others, Lord, who need your healing touch, those recovering from surgeries this week, God, would you be with each one? Lord, would you help us rest in the love of Christ and reflect that love as faithful servants? Lord, may we experience your gospel profoundly that we might love profoundly. We ask it in Jesus' name amen. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, We will keep you updated on what's ahead. Uh, And uh, now this morning, uh, may God go with you. The benediction from Revelation 1 to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Stonebridge.